Well, we've been on a series for, for quite some time. I think we actually started it uh, the beginning of October. It's a series that is called Living Ablaze. And today I'm going to try to wrap up this series because really after the new year, uh, there's some other topics and messages that are on my heart that I want to get into. And you know, really, like we could, keep, we could keep going on and on in this series. There's so many more things that, that we can add to it. But I think we've, we've uh, spent enough time on this series, for the time anyways, and so uh, I'm just going to wrap that up today. In the recap of this, uh, we're going to look at a few different things. I'm going to highlight in each of them uh, the points that we've been, been making. So some of the things that we've been talking about, the first thing is living ablaze from God. It's kind of an introduction uh, to the series, what it means to live our lives ablaze, ablaze for God. Then we talked about being, living ablaze with the Word of God, living ablaze in prayer, living ablaze with the Holy Spirit, living ablaze in worship, living ablaze in humility and generosity and thankfulness. And then last week we talked about living ablaze as a living sacrifice. So it's quite a, quite a spread of topics, you know, and these are all elements like if you're wanting to start a fire, like I've said before, we have these massive cast iron stoves uh, in our home. In order to warm up that cast iron stove for it to serve its purpose, I have to add in some different elements to that, don't I? One of those things could be coal, you know, it could be, could be wood, it could be peat briquettes, but those are different elements that's going to cause that stove to produce what I'm wanting it to produce, right? Which is heat. Right? So these are different elements that we can add to our lives to cause us to live ablaze for God. What does it mean to live ablaze? Living ablaze just means to be eager, to be zealous or burning with enthusiasm. So, and we begin this series by talking about, if you remember, talking about the importance of us having proximity with God. Anyone remember that? In James chapter 4... In verse 8, James says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. We have a part in this relationship, don't we? God has his part, but you have your part. James says that when we draw near to God, what's he going to do? He's going to draw near to you right? If you want God to, to draw near to you, then you're going to have to take that step and draw near to him, right? God initiated his part, didn't he? We all know John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, this is God initiating his desire to draw near to you. He did his part. Now it's our part. He wants us to draw near to him. Well, the important or the interesting thing about proximity is that you'll never live your life ablaze for Christ if you're not in proximity to him. Wood doesn't catch fire if it's not around a flame, does it? I could put all those elements in my cast iron stove that I want to, Right? I could put in the coal, I could put in the wood, I could put in the, the peat briquettes, 
But if I don't add a flame to it, what good is it going to do? It's not going to do me much good at all, is it? So we need that proximity to God. We need to be around that flame that's going to cause us to live ablaze for Christ. Have you ever heard the expression, the ball's in, in your court? I don't know if that's just an American thing or not. but So the ball's in our court. We have to make the decision to have proximity with God. We need to draw near to Him, and then He'll draw near to us. The next thing that we talked about was living ablaze with the Word. You know, the primary way that God's going to speak to you is through His Word, right? The way you're going to get to know the Lord is through His Word. You know, if you and I went out to a, a cup of coffee, and we, we were there for a couple hours just just chatting, you're asking me some questions, I'm asking you some questions, and we're just spending some time getting to know each other, you're going to start to determine and know what my will is, what my desires are, what, the, what are the things that, that make me tick, right? Well, it's the same thing with God. As we draw near to Him, as we start digging into His Word and, and reading uh, what His will is, what His Word says, then we're going to start to get to know God. We're going to get to know what, what causes him to tick, what his desires are, what his passions are. We get to know him through his word. The Bible is the absolute most amazing book that's ever written. There's no other, no other book like it. You know, this right here, this is God's word. It's an amazing book. I don't think we value it the way we should, but this is the most amazing book in the world. And you want to know why? Because God authored it. God himself authored the Bible. Yes, men put it to paper, but this was done under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God gave those men the words to write. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. It says that all scripture is inspired by God. And is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong with our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and to equip his people to do every good work. The fascinating thing about scripture is that Jesus is the living word. He's the word of God made manifest in the flesh. In John chapter 1, and verses 1 through 5 in the New King James Version, it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. In verse 5, and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. And then John goes on to say in chapter 1 and verse 14, he says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So John keeps calling Jesus here the Word, doesn't he? The Word is Jesus Christ, the eternal, ultimate expression of God. If we don't value the Word, then we're not valuing Jesus. 
because Jesus is the Word. Listen, God would not have gone through all the trouble to have this author, to write this, just for us to have it on the shelf, just as a decoration. This is not meant to be a decoration. It's not meant to just be something that's on our, our table by our sofa or our side table by our bed. It's something that we're supposed to read. This is meant to be the foundation of our very life. It's important. If we don't value this book, the Bible, then that's not valuing Jesus because Jesus is the Word. Amen? Well, what makes the Bible unlike any other book is really the simple fact that it's not like any other book. There isn't any other book that you've ever come across that has been authored by God. There isn't any other book that you've ever come across that has been inspired by God, is there? You know, like I, I wrote a book that's in the, the welcome bag, uh, you know, that we give to everyone who's a first-time visitor uh, to our church, the book So Loved. Some of you might have read it. <clears throat> but that's not the Bible. That's a book that the Lord put a message on my heart, and that's important. But that's not the same as the Bible. You know, some of us, we, we, if, we're, if we're readers, we may read a lot of books about topics in the Bible, but that never replaces the Bible in our life. You know, that book so loved isn't what you're building your life on. That's based on something in the Bible, but that's not your foundation, is it? The Bible is our foundation. Jesus said that any man who doesn't build his life on this is a fool. It's because when we build our lives on anything other than God's word, that foundation is shakable. It's immovable. It's like building your life on shifting sand. It's never going to stand. The winds, the rains, the storms come, and that foundation changes, doesn't it? The things of this world changes. I remember things that were okay uh, when I was younger, even nowadays, those things aren't okay. I remember when words that used to mean one thing, now if you say that word, it means something totally different, right? Is anyone else you ever... That's how this world operates. Things are changing, things are shifting, but God's word, the Bible says that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. His word never changes. If it's in here then that is God's word, and you can build your life upon it. Amen? Another thing that we had talked about was living ablaze with prayer. And the interesting thing about prayer is, is that it goes hand in hand with God's word. You know, people often pray, but they really have no idea what God's will is. Sure, they might pray, but they have no idea if their prayer is even going to be answered. Do they? They're just really crossing their fingers and just hoping that God hears them. That's a lot like throwing, you know, whatever you can at the, at the wall and seeing what sticks, isn't it? If you're praying without knowing if something is God's will or not, how can you know if he even hears you? And how can you know if he's going to answer you? That's a difficult thing, isn't it? If you don't know... What my will is on something, you might be able to ask me, you know, something. But if you don't know if, if it's my will to help you or not, then you're just kind of hoping, well, maybe if I ask Pastor Brad, he'll help me in this situation. 
But if you know that it is my heart, that it is my desire to be a help and a blessing to you, then when you ask me, you're coming with confidence, right? Well, I know that Pastor Brad will help me. You know, there's a difference there, isn't there? Let's look at 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14. It says, Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He does what? He hears us. Well, what does it say at the beginning of that verse? It says, this is the confidence that we can have in Him. If you have confidence in God hearing you, when you go to Him, when you pray according to His will, you have confidence knowing He's going to hear you, right? It's not like just speaking at the wall and those words are just bouncing back to you. You go to God knowing that when you're praying according to His will that he hears you, right? Is that what this is saying here? So how are you going to know what God's will is? You're going to know his will as you read and as you study his word. This is his will. Everything in here is his will and his desire for you. Some people, they don't know God's will because they don't know his word. That's why we say all the time, that's by one of the, uh, the points of our church is we live by the word. Like that's how we have to live our lives. If we want God's blessings in our lives, if we want to know his will in our lives, if we want to know which direction and whatever it is in our lives, we need to know what's in his word, don't we? Well, how are you going to know that? Well, you can come to church on Sundays. Well, that's a good start. And I would recommend that, yeah. But the best part is after Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, that you're spending some time in God's Word. Listen, my wife's and my relationship would not be very good if I just spent a couple hours with her one day a week. How close do you think we're going to get? Not very. How happy! Is she going to be with me when I just cut out two hours, you know, on, you know, whatever day, Monday? You can have two hours, Amy. That's what I can give you this week, nothing more. She's not going to be happy with that. And we're not going to have that kind of relationship. We're not going to be able to get to know each other the way we need to be as husband and wife, right? Well, God's looking for that too. He doesn't want just two hours of your time where you pencil, and pencil him in in your diary and you just give him a couple hours a week. He wants more than that. You know, we've said before that God is a jealous God. Not jealous as in a bad thing. He's jealous as in he wants all of your heart. He wants every part of you. He wants to get to know you. He wants to have a relationship with you. Well, how are you going to do that? You're going to do that by several things. It starts with coming to church on Sunday mornings. But it's the rest of your week where you're spending some time talking with him. You're spending some time praying. You're spending some time reading his word and, and meditating on those things. Sometimes, you know, we read things in the Bible and we're like, what does that mean, Lord? Like, ask him. I mean, you can phone me you can message me and say, hey, I was reading this text and I'm not sure what this actually means. But you can ask God, too. Amen? And he'll give you direction on what that means. And then in 1 John chapter 5 again, we're going to add chapter or verse 15. 
But we'll read verse 14 again. It says, Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And in verse 15, And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Isn't that a great way to pray? Going to God, knowing what his will is, knowing what his desire is, and being able to pray and ask him for what it is that we have a need of in our life, knowing that he hears us, and knowing also that he's going to give us what it is that we're praying for. That's a great feeling, isn't it? Well, how are you going to be able to have that kind of feeling? How are you going to be able to have that kind of confidence? You're going to have that when you pray according to God's will, right? So when we pray, we pray God's will according to his word. Another thing that we had talked about was living ablaze with the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to spend some time after, after the new year, I'm going to spend uh, some time maybe in a, a series just talking about the Holy Spirit, because that's another important topic. You know, another, another pillar of our church is we're led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was so important that Jesus said it was to his advantage that he go away for the purpose of so that he could send the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit must be pretty important then, right? If Jesus says that I must go away and it's your advantage that I do go away so that I could send the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit must be a really important part for Jesus to say that it's to your advantage that I go away so that I can send him. So we're going to spend some time in the new year uh, talking about uh, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't an it. The Holy Spirit isn't some weird mystical force or a ghost. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. In Matthew chapter 28, in verse 19, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is just as important in your life as is God the Father, and as is God the Son. You ever thought about that before? In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 7, it says, For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. To live our, our lives ablaze for God, we need all of God in our lives, don't we? We need the Father in our lives. We need the Son in our lives, but we also need the Holy Spirit in our lives. The 120 who were in the upper room in Acts chapter 1, they were all born again. They were born of the Spirit, but the, but the Bible says that they weren't yet baptized in the Holy Spirit. There's a difference between being born of the Spirit and being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Do you know that? Jesus summed up the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer by calling him the helper. In John chapter 14, 16, you can read that. The word translated as helper is the Greek word parakletos. And that just means comforter. It means counselor, helper, intercessor, 
advocate, strengthener, standby. You know, Jesus, while he was on this, this earth, he did those things for those who were around him, for those who were blessed enough to have proximity with him, you know, the, the disciples and maybe a, a little bit of a wider group. He was able to be those things for those people. But Jesus, when he was in his earthly body, he wasn't omnipresent. He couldn't be everywhere at, at any one time, all the time. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does those things where, where he can be speaking to you in your home, but at that exact same time, he could be speaking to me as well. And at that same time, he could be speaking to someone else on the other side of the world. He's not bound like we are where I'm here right now. I'm not anywhere else, am I? I'm just right here at the front of this room. Well, the Holy Spirit can be anywhere and everywhere all over the world, can't he? That's one of the reasons why Jesus said it is to your advantage. Because wherever the disciples went, wherever believers are in this world, the Holy Spirit is right there with them, being their comforter, being their counselor, their helper, their intercessor, advocate, strengthener, and standby. I want you to understand something. I want you to understand how important it was to Jesus that his disciples receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But not only the disciples, but every believer. Jesus spent a considerable amount of time talking to his disciples about the Holy Spirit. There's a number of chapters you can read in, book, in the book of John, John chapter 14, John chapter 16, where Jesus spent a lot of time talking about and teaching about the Holy Spirit, preparing his disciples for who was going to come to be a help to them, to be an aid to them in their future life in ministry. If you look at uh, Luke chapter 24 and verse 49, Jesus said, And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit has come to fill you with power from heaven. So Jesus spent a lot of time talking about the Holy Spirit. And he spent a lot of time talking about what he was going to do for the believers, what he was going to do for the Christians. The Holy Spirit is important in our life. So after this new year, we're going to spend a considerable amount of time talking about the ministry and the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Okay. Another thing we had talked about is living ablaze with worship. You know, when we talk about worship, I'd ask the question when we, when we were uh, on this particular topic, you know, what does worship mean to you? When you hear the word worship, what's the first thing that you think about? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? A lot of us would just be like, uh, like singing in church or maybe uh, just spending some time lifting our arms uh, praising the Lord. Maybe it could be worship could be like a service like this, a worship service, right? Those are, might be some things that pop into our head, but the worship extends much broader than that. It extends much broader than just singing or just a, a worship service. Singing is an expression of our worship, but worship is actually making the daily decision in making Jesus the Lord of your life, 
spirit, soul, and body. It's giving the entirety of your life to him. That's worship. This ties in with us being a living sacrifice, as we'll see in just a moment. I want, to, I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15. It says, Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. What does it mean to sacrifice something? When we sacrifice something in our lives... We're giving that up, aren't we? Here, praise is called a sacrifice. We're told to continually offer our praise. It's not something that we only do on Sundays. It's something that we're instructed to do continually. Continually make that sacrifice of praise. Remember what James had said where he said, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And then James also says in uh, chapter 4 and verse 10, he says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. You see, worship begins with humility. It's giving up your glory in order that you may give glory to God. It's about less of you and more of God. John the Baptist had said this in John chapter 3 and verse 30. He said, he must become greater and greater, and I, must become, and, I'm, and I must become less and less. Singing is an important part of our worship. Worship begins with our heart. If we want to be true worshipers and experience God's inhabiting presence in our lives, then we need to give the entirety of ourselves to him. This is worship giving our lives to God, offering Him our life as a living sacrifice. And then we had talked about humility, living ablaze with humility. Humility is really a, a massive key to unlocking the power of God in your life. If you want to have a deeper relationship with God, then you need to understand the importance of humility. True humility is just recognizing your dependence upon God. It's difficult doing this life on our own, isn't it? Not many people are successful at that. A lot of times we have, we have family, we have friends, like we gather people to ourselves in this life, don't we? And still it's difficult. But with God, humility is recognizing your dependence upon God. God's wanting to help you. He's wanting to be a blessing in your life. But that starts with us being a living sacrifice, giving our life to him, being humble, and allowing him to, to give us direction in our life, allowing him to meet our needs. A lot of times we try to figure things out on our own, don't we? We try to figure it out in our head, how can I fix this situation in my life? Some of us spend nights awake trying to figure out how we're going to fix something in our lives, don't we? But true humility is recognizing our dependence upon God. God knows exactly how any, any problem in your life can be fixed easily and simply and way better than we could possibly ever do it in our lives, right? But humility is recognizing our dependence upon Him. 
To be humble doesn't mean to think of yourself as less. Humility doesn't mean that we see ourselves as having little value. Biblical humility sees ourselves as God sees us. It sees our... It sees us through, God sees us through the lens of Christ, what he has done for us, what he purchased for us. Everything we have, everything we are, is because of Jesus. In 1 Peter chapter 5, in verses 6 and 7, it says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. I like this next scripture, casting all your care upon him, for he cares about you. It's a good scripture, isn't it? I don't think we realize how much it is that God actually cares for us. Otherwise, we'd be so quick to cast all of our cares upon him, knowing that he cares for us. And we, and, but that takes a place of humility, doesn't it? If we try to hold on to those things, like why would we hold on to all the troubles and the difficulties and problems in our lives? Why would we hold on to those so tight? It's because of pride. It's because we're not really trusting God. When we trust God, when we take that humble position and cast those things to the Lord, give them over to Him, and we just let them go, right? Knowing that he cares for us. Knowing that, as he said, as we looked in Philippians 4.19, that God shall supply all of our need. And when we trust him, when we have confidence in him, we're not going to go and try to take those things back from God either, are we? We're going to cast them and we're going to leave them in God's capable arms. Because like I said, he can provide the answers so much better than we could ever think or even imagine like we can, we, can, we can take a situation and, and come up with a solution to a problem, and that might be fine, and the problem may be resolved, but how much better is it to have God resolve that problem and it be done infinitely better than we could do it on our own? Amen? So humility is an important part in our lives. And then we talked about living ablaze with, with generosity in Psalm chapter uh, 112. 112 in the fourth verse, it says, Light shines in the darkness for the godly. They are generous, compassionate, and righteous. Having an attitude of generosity is a position of selflessness. The opposite, to, of course, would be true if you have an attitude of stinginess. That's an attitude of selfishness, isn't it? Our generosity is actually rooted in our humility. It's a heart attitude. Jesus paints a great picture of, of generosity in Luke chapter uh, 6 and verse 8 and of God's response to that. It says, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will it be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Whatever it is that God has blessed you with, use that to be generous and be a blessing to other people. Jesus says that with that same measure that you use, that's the measure that he'll use for you. Here's another great scripture. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and, and verse 8 in the New Living Translation, it says, And God will generously provide all you need. That's good news, isn't it? And then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. God wants us to be generous just as he is generous, you know, and we're kind of going into the season, Christmas season, right? What's, what's the Christmas season all about? Generosity, right? For God so loved the world, he gave, didn't he? Well, God expects us to give as well. He expects us to have a generous heart, to have a generous attitude as well. And then we talked about thankfulness. In Ephesians chapter 5, in verse 20, listen to what the Apostle Paul had said. He said, In giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the Apostle Paul is kind of a great example of living a life ablaze. No matter the situation that Paul found himself in, and he found himself in some pretty uncomfortable situations, didn't he? We had talked a little bit about that. Situations where he was being stripped and beaten, imprisoned, whipped, stoned, shipwrecked, enduring sleepless nights, going hungry and thirsty, and on and on. That's some pretty tough life, huh? But what does the Apostle Paul say in Ephesians chapter 5:20? He said, giving thanks to God in all things. So in all of those circumstances, in all of those situations that the Apostle Paul found himself in, he always still gave thanks to God. How many of us do that? When we find ourselves in a very difficult situation, how do we respond? Is it in thankfulness? Probably not all the time, but that's what God expects from us. That no matter the situation that we're in, that we would be thankful for God's blessings in our lives. You know, we looked at a, a situation several weeks ago where Paul and Silas were thrown into the inner prison uh, or the inner dungeon of a prison. You remember that? In the inner prison, the dungeon part, you know, you have like the, the, nice, the nice cushy. I don't think any prisons back in the Roman times were exceptionally uh, nice prisons, but... Uh, you know, you had, the, you had the main part, we could call like light security, whatever. It's, it's, you know, a little more comfortable, you know. But where the Apostle Paul and Silas were thrown was the inner dungeon part. It's where you're thrown down in the deep, dark part of the dungeon and the, the door is locked and, and thrown away and you're just left to die. That's where the Apostle Paul found himself with Silas. But in that situation... He still found it in his heart. His attitude was still to be thankful. And what did the Apostle Paul and Silas start doing? They started praying and praising the Lord in the middle of an absolute bad scenario, right? Left in a prison to die. The most uncomfortable place that you can ever imagine. That's where the Apostle Paul felt, found himself. And he still had the attitude to be thankful in all things. And you know what the result of that was? There was a massive earthquake that opened every door in the prison. How did that happen? Like all the doors are locked, right? That earthquake caused all the doors to, to open. And then it also caused 
all the, all the chains and iron, irons off of every prisoner to come off. That's some earthquake, isn't it? That's a miracle. But what caused that? What was it that caused God to move in that way? It was the Apostle Paul's thankfulness. No matter where he found himself, no matter what he was going through, he had a thankful heart towards God. That thankfulness can open miraculous doors in our lives if we'll have that same attitude too. I'm not saying that's always easy. Sometimes we're in some very uncomfortable situations, aren't we? But are they any more uncomfortable than what Paul found himself in? Come on. Like, have we ever been thrown in the dark inner dungeon and locked up in, in chains like the Apostle Paul was? Like, is our situation so bad that we can't have any kind of thankfulness in our heart at all? If the Apostle Paul could do that, then we can too. The Apostle Paul said that was a result of God's grace upon his life. That grace enabled him in any situation to have an attitude of thankfulness. We have that same grace in our lives, don't we? Amen? Another thing we had talked about was, and the last thing, uh, was living ablaze as a, as a living sacrifice. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, in verses 24 and 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, how many of you want to be Jesus' follower? If any of you wants to be my follower, what does it say? What does it say? All right, let's follow the bouncing ball here. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. In the New Living Translation, it says you must give up your own way. Man, that's a tough one, isn't it? Is that a big ask? Is that something big that God asks of us? To turn from your own way. Well, why is that? Why would Jesus ask that of us? If you want to be my follower then you must give up your own way. Why would he ask that of us? It's because our own way, before Jesus, which direction were we all headed? Where was our way taking us? Where was it headed? Wasn't headed in a nice direction. You know, some people like it hot, right? That's the direction that it was taking us. And I'm not talking about the Bahamas. <laughs> right? When we choose our own way, it never leads us in a good direction. It never does. But God's direction, Jesus' direction, if we follow Him, if we keep our eyes on Him and wherever He walks, we walk, He'll always lead us 
two good places. Jesus says, I have come to give life and life more abundantly. Listen, when we choose our own way, you know what we're choosing? We're choosing the part before what Jesus said, where I give life and life abundantly. It says that the devil comes to steal, to kill, and to cause destruction. When we follow our own way, that's the direction that we're heading. Listen, sometimes we are our absolute own worst enemies, aren't we? You know, we like to blame everything on the devil. Yeah, well, the devil made me do this. The devil caused this in my life. This happened because of the devil. A lot of times, actually, things happen in our life because we make bad choices. Right? The devil can't make you do anything. He can't twist your arm and force you to do anything. We do things willingly. And that's why Jesus says here, if you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way. It's something that you do. We make that decision. We make that call in our lives. We don't like to take responsibility for our lives, do we? A lot of people, if you ask them if something happens, they always try to shift blame, right? Well, it was this person that did that. They caused me to do this. It's their fault. But a lot of times, it's just simply our fault. We have to make the decision to follow Christ. Then he says, give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. And in verse 25, it says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. That's good, isn't it? In Jesus' own words, he says that if anyone wants to be his follower, then they must give up their own way to take up the cross and follow him. This is because the Bible says that our righteousness, our way, is as filthy regs. We don't like to hear that. But none of us are good enough to receive what Jesus did for us. It's not something that any of us have the capacity to earn our righteousness always, our morality, our good works, everything that we do, our righteousness, the Bible says, is as filthy rags. It's probably not something that we like to hear, right? My righteousness is as filthy rags. That's why we need Jesus. Jesus' righteousness is what allows us to have a relationship with God. Without Jesus' righteousness, without what Jesus did, man, none of us would have a hope, would we? We have to be able to give up our way. When we give up our way, we're giving up our righteousness. And when we follow Jesus, giving up our righteousness, giving up our own way, we're taking on His righteousness which allows us to have right standing with God. Well, how can we have right standing with God? It's through Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that no one goes to the Father except through me. Well, how can Jesus say that? That sounds pretty arrogant, right? It sounds pretty, doesn't sound very inclusionary to me. Jesus can say that is because he is the only one who's righteous. 
None of us in this room could raise our hand and say that I'm righteous, that I'm able to obtain salvation through what I have done. No one can say that. No one on this planet can say that. The only person who could possibly say that is Jesus. He's the spotless lamb. The Bible says he's the spotless lamb slain before the foundation of the world, meaning that his plan was always to give his life for us. And I'm so thankful that he did. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, it says, For grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. That's a nice gift, isn't it? Man, salvation is a nice gift. The Bible couldn't be any clearer that we're saved by grace through faith in Him and not of ourselves. It's not anything that we've done to earn. It's not because we're good enough. It's not because we're nice enough. It's not because we're moral enough. It's because of Jesus, the free gift. That's what we're celebrating this Christmas season, right? Jesus, Emmanuel, Emmanuel just means God with us. Jesus coming into this world as a gift to us, that gift of salvation, that plan that's always been there. Jesus slain before the foundation of the world. He knew when he created this world what he was going to have to do in order to save this world before Adam and Eve ever sinned and, fa and fallen. The spotless lamb slain before the foundation of the world, meaning that he knew exactly what he was going to have to do, step down from heaven into earth as a man, being born humbly as a baby, that he may become the mediator between God and man. That's an amazing thing. In James chapter 3 and verse 13, I like what this says. If you are wise and understand God's ways, what does it say? Prove it. Prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. Being a living sacrifice, being someone who, you know, we talked about the Apostle Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. As we're, as we're imitating Christ in our life, as we're living our lives as a Christian, God expects, if we're giving everything to him, our spirit, our soul, our body, every part of us, if we give up our own way, if we live our lives as a living sacrifice, then that should be something that's seen in our lives, right? That should be something that people recognize in our lives. If I never say a word to you, hopefully that you would see something different about the way I act, about the way I operate, how I treat people, that you would see some things in my life that would say, hmm, he's a little different than other people that I've met. You know, I've given the example of, I, I used to manage like large retail stores, you know, and when I'd go into a store, you know, I wouldn't go in to my employees and introduce myself. Hi, my name's, my name's Bradley. I'm a Christian. Hi, my name's Bradley. I'm a Christian. I wouldn't do that. But people would come up to me and, and just start asking me questions. Listen, you're, you're a little different than like other managers that we have. You know, why is that? It's not because of things that I was saying. 
It's about the way I was living. You see, the world should see that light inside of us. If they're not, then maybe we're trying to do things our own way. Because if you draw close to God, what does it say he's going to do? He's going to draw close to you, right? And when you draw close to God, all of those things in our life that, that, are, that would keep us back, that would hinder us, that would keep that light from shining, just burn away. Sometimes we have problems in our lives is because we're not having proximity, back to the beginning of this, we're not having proximity to God. If we draw close to God, He's going to draw close to you, but you're going to have to in order to do that. That takes a position of humility, doesn't it? So all of these things, all these elements that we've been talking about, they all tie together. If we want to live our lives ablaze for Christ, you know, go back to the podcast and listen to all these again. Not because I'm a fantastic preacher or minister. I know I'm not. But there's a lot of truth in those things. There's a lot of God's word in those things. And those things will help you. You know, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. You don't just hear something once and then you're like, oh, I'm done, I got it. A lot of times things come in our life as we hear it and 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 hear it. Some of us need to keep going and hear it and hear it, right? If you're like me, you need to hear something a number of times. You know, a lot of times Pastor Amy is, you know, she'll tell me something and she'll say something later. I'm like, I, I'm sorry, I forgot. What did, you, what did you need me to get at the shop? <laughs> I probably should take a note of that. But So if we, if we apply these elements to our lives and really start trying to draw close to God, he's going to draw close to us. You can't not draw close to God and he like pull away from you. He's going to draw close to you. Amen? Well, let's just pray.